1: Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? Have you uh, been doing anything interesting over the last week or so? <laughs> I've been a little bit busy, man. Uh, kind of making an impact here and there. An impact here and there. I'm picking up what you're putting down, pal. Uh, Let's go ahead and get all of the uh, rumor and innuendo out of the way. There's been lots of speculation from a mutual friend of ours on his podcast that without really saying so, he suspects that we're going to be shilling for a certain wrestling company. Uh, That is not the case. Uh, They're looking for the rub from us, not the other way around. Is that fair to say? That's pretty fair to say. So anyway, let's move along. Uh, Bruce, anything we want to address on last week's show before we get into what we're really here for WrestleMania 15? Well, I didn't get a whole lot of feedback other than Dennis stamp on last week's show. So, uh, Hey, Dennis rock on. Yeah. Sorry to hear that Dennis apparently has been having some health problems. Uh, we want to uh, send nothing but well wishes out to him. It's unfortunate. Uh, anytime you hear bad news about somebody Uh, That has entertained you, and he certainly entertained all of us in the Beyond the Mat documentary. All right, Bruce, it's time to do it. It's what everybody's really here for. It's WrestleMania 15. There's so much crazy stuff that's going on here. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how to jump into this with all the different information that we have about the the behind-the-scenes goings-on in the company. This happens in 1999 when business is arguably... Uh, at an all time high for the company. And this pay per view itself sets all kinds of records. But what people remember most about it is probably not the wrestling. So let's just get into it. What happened when the World Wrestling Federation brought WrestleMania 15 to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania? Uh, it's March, it's 1999. Bruce, we talked about this the other day off air. I've always been fascinated by the location selection and the way that process works. And I found it interesting that you guys return here to the Northeast again. Of course, you were up there for 11. Well, of course, you were there for 10. And then 11, uh, you're back in the Northeast. 12, you go to Anaheim. 13, you're in Chicago. 14, you're in Boston. 15, you're in Philadelphia. It feels like this could have been a time to pull the trigger on a stadium show, but we're in Philly and we're not in a stadium. What's up with that? Wait, wait, let me say, what's up with that? What's up with that? I think that it goes back to,
0: again, there were a lot of people that felt going to a stadium was riskier and they wanted to have a smaller venue where they could make more money on the bottom line.
1: And it felt like Philadelphia... Was a hot market for y'all just because it's the northeast and they have rabid fans, or it's just a wrestling town?
0: Philadelphia is a great wrestling town. It was always really good for the WWF and it was someplace, like you said, rabid fans. They supported the product, they loved it, they were enthusiastic, and they
1: deserved a WrestleMania. Well, I'll tell you what, it's uh it's five o'clock here when we're taping this and I deserve an ice cold Miller Lite. It is hashtag Miller Light time. Hashtag Miller time. Come on. Get you some of that. Please give me one. You want one too? Oh, yeah. I'll get you one. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Now it's hashtag Miller time. There you go.
0: Cheers. Cheers. There you go. Because I love me a little bit of Miller Light to just kind of set the
1: tone. Because I'm going to take a few of these to get through this podcast with you. Okay, so let's get into it. Uh, we're in Philadelphia, and I guess we should talk a little bit about kind of what was leading us to this match itself uh, or this series of matches because there's lots of kind of twists and turns of how we get there. Let's start first with the broadcast team. Uh, JR's Bill's Palsy here has him really suffering in late 98 and early 99, and there's not even a specific timetable for his return Uh, When he he does come back, though, he comes back to do an angle, Uh, and I kind of always thought this was kind of weird and out of place. Uh, He comes out on Raw and calls out Bart Gunn and then blames him for his Bell's Palsy and slaps him. I guess that turns him heel. And then Dr. Death does a run-in and gives Bart some German suplexes and beats him up. And the next time we see JR, he has Dr. Death with him, and in the middle of a show... They start getting a new announce table built right in front of Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler, who are also ringside, and he tries to announce in front of them. Now, thankfully, all of this angle was dropped, and we do get to see JR on WrestleMania. But I want to talk about this time with JR. How hard was this time on him in real life with him struggling with the Spells Palsy? I cannot even imagine, because
0: J.M., Jim Ross, he absolutely loves what he does. He loves to commentate. Jim loves to tell stories, and he's so damn passionate about everything that he does. He was probably maybe seen by a lot of people to be overpassionate or some people might even say overbearing in his quest to get back on the air. The powers that be felt, damn, Jim, you know, you can't be on the air with your face that's half paralyzed. They felt that it was unsettling for viewers. Whoa, 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 whoa. What what is this they? It's Vince, right? I think it was a combination of Vince, uh, Vince McMahon, Vince Russo, Kevin Dunn. I think that there were a lot of people that felt that it just wasn't the look that they were looking for. And it was an excuse to... Get Jim off of TV.
1: Okay, don't just point the finger there. What did you think? Take some ownership. I didn't have any say in the
0: situation whatsoever. But Fuck I felt what you
1: had a say in. Did you think he had a look for it, or because he had this attack, you should keep him off TV? What was your opinion? I think that it was better
0: to keep him off TV for that time, but I also think that he still could have in the right place at the right time, been able to call big matches. The other part of the bell's palsy thing with Jim, especially at this time, was Jim's stamina on the air. The later it got, the more Jim did, he became fatigued and his, his
1: face became fatigued
0: His face became fatigued, but also his everything became fatigued man he, he was it was debilitating on him. so his speech would slur. He wasn't easy to understand, and that affected his
1: work. Uh, what was Jr. doing off camera for the company? Uh, Jim was the vice president of talent relations. Was this illness affecting his work off camera or just on camera?
0: I think that it affected his. I think it affected his stamina a little bit, frankly. But it was more of a. I think personally, I think it was more of an aesthetic thing, and I think that Jim could have been utilized to tell those great stories that he is so good at. And if you could have kept him in a special place, he didn't have to do a lot of on camera work. Right. Okay. You don't see the damn commentators on camera. You don't have to see them a whole lot. And I think that there could have been something that could have been done to utilize Jim, to do
1: what he does best. And that's tell stories. Uh, So whose idea was it to turn him heel here? That feels like a Vince Russo idea. I believe it was. It was probably a combination
0: of Vince Russo and Vince McMahon. Why was it scrapped? I don't think that the people bought
1: it. People didn't want to boo JR. They loved JR. Yeah. Well, did you think um, him slapping Bart Gunn and blaming him for the Bell's Palsy was in poor taste? Or did you think it was fair game because it's wrestling?
0: (sighs) I think everything's fair game because it's wrestling. But I just don't think it worked from the standpoint of Number one, they love Jr. Also, I th- think that the people kind of wanted to see Dr. Death, too. Yeah. So they didn't They didn't have a reason to hate Dr. Death. Right. They didn't have a reason to really get behind Bart Gunn other than he had won the
1: brawl for all. Then he went away. Uh, Meltzer reports around this time, uh, there was actually a dialogue a few months back with Michael Landsberg of off the record about hosting raw with the idea of it being permanent, but he was told by TSN that he'd have to drop his show because of the credibility factor of shilling for wrestling. So he didn't pursue it any further. Uh, how far do you remember this coming along and had it happened? What would have changed for Jr or Cole in your opinion?
0: Landsberg was somebody that Vince was interested in. He liked his he liked his look. (laughs) Again, that that's an important thing for television. He he liked his look and felt his interview style would lend itself to the business. And and Landsberg was also a big fan of the business. So, do you like him? You like Landsberg? I I like his show. Yeah. Okay, I do. And there were just discussions. But as I said, he wasn't able to do both, and he really enjoyed his TSN deal.
1: Let's talk about Shawn Michaels. Um, You guys turned Shawn babyface towards the end of 98, and the thinking in doing that is he's going to have to get spinal fusion surgery. So whenever a guy leaves for a long period like that, make him a babyface. Uh, That surgery happened on January 12th in San Antonio and took more than four hours once they discovered that one of the discs in his back had largely been destroyed. Uh, In an interview with his local paper there about a week before the surgery, he said, it's a matter of looking at the risk versus rewards ratio. It's time to say that's a wrap. I've accomplished many things in the ring, including reaching the top as a world champion. If I hadn't won the title, then perhaps I'd still be trying to get back in the ring one way or another, but you have to start thinking about your personal life, end quote. Uh, Was there ever any hope? back in 1998 that you remember that Sean would be back there was a lot of hope that Sean would be back
0: I think the feeling was no one really knew the extent of the injury because they hadn't gone in Right. they knew that Sean was hurting he was in a lot of pain he was dependent on painkillers he needed to get fixed so it it was time to fish or cut bait and it was time to cut on his back and find out what the hell was going on there was always the hope That he was going to come back.
1: Yeah. Uh, Meltzer reports that uh, Tank Abbott was approached to fight Bart Gunn, but he asked for $55,000, and the WWF just balked at that point. And supposedly, uh, there was also talk of having Bart face chemo because he couldn't really strike, but he looked imposing. And Meltzer even went so far as to say that you and Briscoe met with both Tank and Chemo. Uh, I've always been fascinated by the idea of you guys flirting with MMA guys. It's also coming out here that Butterbean, and it's, we're going to talk a lot about Butterbean, but it's important to uh, mention that he was kind of viewed as a uh, a joke in boxing, but he was still very active. Not necessarily fighting on the big-time shows, but fighting almost every weekend and maybe was considered too busy for the WWF once upon a time. And before they scrapped the idea, allegedly, Steve Blackman was even kicked around as a possible opponent for Bart Gunn. When they're trying to find you know some way to capitalize on his brawl for all infamy, I guess is the right way to say it. You know, we've covered the Brawl for All, and it's in the archives, and uh, probably one of our more fun episodes if you just enjoy a good train wreck. So go check that out. But I'm curious now that we've broken that down in such great detail, Bruce. Why wouldn't you guys just let that shit go after everybody kind of acknowledged, boy, this was a clusterfuck of an idea? You guys, it wasn't you guys, it was Vince and Vince. Well, you and Briscoe go talk to the motherfuckers, so you're involved. Well, yeah, because I was asked to go and gauge their interest. Um, How do you remember those talks going with chemo and Tank?
0: Chemo, <laughs> chemo was a goof. Um Kimball was one of those guys that really believed his own shit. He, a super nice guy, really, really nice guy. But we, we talked to these guys through Rick Bassman. Rick Bassman was a promoter out in California, in Southern California. Who got
1: Sting and Warrior and Cena and other guys in, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: And Rick's a nice guy. Rick ran his promotion out there, um, but Rick had a school as well and was able to. Get access to a lot of these guys and and dealt with a lot of the shoot fighters that worked out there in his gym. Chemo was one of them. Tank Abbott was another. Um, so we went out. I uh, had a relationship with Rick, and we talked to we talked to Chemo first because Chemo had the most marketability. Chemo was the guy that you know he came to the ring carrying the cross to the ring, and he was a interesting guy, and he was a Uh, I'm not going to say he was a household name, but he was a big name in the MMA world. So we, we talked to him, but he just, uh, I don't know. I don't want to say he didn't have any interest, but he sure as hell didn't have any interest in losing.
1: There you go. So let's talk about, um, Mark Kerr and Mark Coleman. And there's a tremendous documentary out there if you haven't seen it called The Smashing Machine and it kind of follows Mark Kerr, but you learn a little bit about Mark Coleman and both of these guys are pretty tight with Kurt Angle or once upon a time were from their amateur wrestling days. But Meltzer reports that you guys had conversations with both. Specifically JR met with Kerr in Phoenix during a WWF show. Do you know why those conversations didn't advance? Is it because of the level of income they were earning in Japan at the time or what happened there? Why did those deals fall apart?
0: <sighs> you know, I get Kerr and Coleman confused and one of them was from Ohio and I, I believe that the, that's Coleman Coleman. Okay. And Kerr lives out
1: in like Arizona or something.
0: Okay. Uh, I remember that uh, the, the, the one that was in Ohio, we, we met with them out there and, and I believe he had an issue with drugs that just couldn't, uh, couldn't really be overcome.
1: <laughs> he, oh, he was, he can you imagine a scenario where somebody Jesus. does too many drugs for wrestling?
0: Exactly. Well, he did, man. Cur- he, Cur- he, showed, he showed up fucked up to, to the show. I
1: is the one who really struggled.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the one I, 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 really just get them both mixed up. They were both great amateurs and both great fighters, but they weren't interested in the entertainment side of the business. they, Wanted to come and beat up bar Gun. they want they wanted to beat everybody up sure so it, it didn't didn't go beyond that do you remember tank abbott asking for 55 does that sound right to you all those guys asked for exorbitant amount of money
1: you think 55 in that time was exorbitant money it was exorbitant money for what they were going
0: to be doing in comparison to what the other guys were making yeah uh
1: I asked because there was an article in the uh, Philadelphia Daily News that said Butterbean had signed a two-fight deal with the WWF for $50,000 per fight and claimed the contract said that Butterbean would be pinned in neither match. <laughs> now, of course, when they say, you know, he won't be oh, pinned, I'm like, oh, God. Employ-
0: employed Mayweather got paid $30 million, too. So you don't believe that Butterbean got paid fifty grand for WrestleMania? I know he didn't.
1: What did he get? I'm not telling you. Okay. Half? No, I'm not going to discuss that. Well, you laughed at it. I did laugh at it. I
0: did so it's probably ten grand. It. It's, hey, Butterbean made, Butterbean made good, fair money, and we paid him what he asked.
1: Butterbean's from Jasper. What do folks in Jasper say? What do they say? Roll Tide. Uh, it was rumored that uh, WrestleMania will wind up being a three-way deal. With Austin, Rock, and Mankind, and one of the things that feeds into that rumor is that there are three guys who are going to be set to be on the cover of TV Guide, and I don't think—and this is—they're hap- doing this like the week of WrestleMania is when these TV guides are supposed to come out, and I don't think uh, a lot of younger people who are listening right now, Bruce, can really grasp. What big distribution TV guide had? Because now people are just spoiled with oh, you've just got everything kind of on screen. You <laughs> know, God,
0: I, I, I don't even think that my children even have a clue. Like you say, what the hell a TV guide is? Well, once upon a
1: time, you know, you could get your television, you know, lineup. Locally, you could get a few channels in your newspaper every day. But if you needed, like, all the cable channels and you wanted to know what was on all of those, you had to get the TV Guide. It was the only place to get it. Right. This thing had millions and millions. Of, it was way bigger than any newspaper or traditional magazine. And the TV Guide was there at the checkout counter. Absolutely. So
0: where, whenever you checked out at the grocery store, you checked out at Walgreens or Eckerd Drugs or the Walmart hell were, or
1: Target wh- or wherever.
0: Wherever the hell you were, man is you were checking out that last the gas station it was everywhere was everywhere TV guide so for us to have the cover and we didn't just have one guy on the cover you that had was four. another another unique deal so they were collectibles right you could get stone cold steve austin you could get the rock you could get mankind or you could get sable so you had these four collectors editions of TV guide and people would wouldn't just buy one for the TV guide itself they were buying it for who was on the cover And so it was a a neat promotion.
1: It's a really big deal, too. I'm curious, though. We're going to talk about him a lot on this show, I'm sure. But uh, when was Mankind figured into the main event, and when did those plans change?
0: See, I don't know that Mankind was ever figured into the main event. I do know that Vince Russo really wanted to have Mankind in the main event. He wanted to have a triple threat. And have mankind in the mix. I don't think.
1: Can he, I freestyle a guess that uh, Mick was fucked up physically and just couldn't do that?
0: Mick was, I believe, uh, he had either knee. He or had a hip. knee injury, okay. and he had
1: just gotten massacred in the head. Yeah, a couple of months before. I, I just think that Vince felt Vince McMahon felt
0: that the one-on-one rock in Austin was the attraction that the single match was more of an attraction than spreading that spotlight over three guys.
1: So and the and idea, he probably felt that way because, and, and now this seems crazy to think about, but at that time, there'd never been more than just a heads up batch in the main event of WrestleMania. I believe so. Yeah. There had been the tag match, you yeah. know, of course, at WrestleMania one, but moving forward, it was all mono e mono. right? and
0: the idea of involving Mick in the match in the referee role that was bandied about so that's how they got Mick into that match but i do believe that where that comes from is i believe russo really wanted to have that as a triple threat match and keep Mick
1: involved in the title picture do you remember Mick being disappointed or upset that he wasn't involved there sure i mean that's that's your goal if you're in the business you want
0: a main event wrestlemania to be a part of that and be a part of that issue is is
1: big time, big time deal. No, it was a big time deal, and there's so much about the business in 1999 that's on fire. I mean, we're going to spin off into all kinds of crazy storylines here, but the next big one uh, was the big jump from WCW to the WWF for the Big Show, Paul White. Uh, his contract started on February 10th, and his first appearance was at the Toy Fair for the WWF but he debuted in-ring at St. Valentine's Day Massacre. That show broke every In Your House record ever, doing a 1.21 buy rate, and it did $5.79 as a company gross for the pay-per-view, which I guess isn't surprising when you consider that it was headlined by Vince McMahon and Steve Austin in a cage. So pretty solid at the time if you're trying to sell tickets. Meltzer reports here. And this is, I guess, the big question that I wanted to ask about this because there's been so many tweets about it. Quote, he may also be held off because due to the major liposuction, he's been unable to train, so he's not in good condition, and he's still way too heavy, and there is a school of thought that there is no point in rushing his debut until he's gotten himself into top shape since so much is being invested in him when business is so great with him or without him. This is confusing. Goddamn
0: pronouns, pal. Big show.
1: Who'd you think I was talking about? Well, it was all these he's and him's, you know, pronouns, pal. Goddamn. Okay, well, fucking tell that to Dave, okay? I'm just trying to give the man credit. I, You know. It's I'm our, not going to give him credit. He's phenomenal. Quit picking on him. Fuck him. God. Him.
0: See that? Pronouns, pal. Goddamn. <laughs> uh, the major liposuction. Rumor and innuendo. No, I think Big Show had a lot of liposuction in between his time from WCW to come to WWE. Vince asked for that? No. Show just wanted to do it on his I own. I think Show wanted to. Do I think Show was looking for a shortcut, frankly. Ooh, coming in hot right there. Well, no, I do. I, I, I think that he, he was looking at a way to come in and look great. and. Go ahead and do that versus train. You, see, look at Big Show right now. My God. Oh, he's a monster. Holy cow. He looks like a giant Superman with abs. It's insane. But I, at the time, Show was looking for a quick fix. He was not in shape when he came in. He hadn't worked out for a while. so. But also, Vince wanted to get him in our ring, get him acclimated before he was going to Put him in the ring to wrestle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about...
1: when he debuted on raw after the pay-per-view Meltzer wrote quote, he's had a lot of fat sculpted from his body, but he still looks like he hasn't slept in a week instead of the fire breathing, fierce giant they're looking for. They've got this tall burned out looking overgrown high school partier. The company has impressed upon white. The idea of dropping weight actually down to below 400. Eventually they are calling him big, nasty, Paul white. So a lot to cover there, Bruce. Uh, first of all, what happened to Big Nasty? Why did he like Big Nasty? Because this is a McMahon deal. That's not a McMahon deal. McMahon always
0: wanted to call him Big Show. Nobody ever wanted to call him Big Nasty. Well, I take it back. Big Show wanted to call himself Big Nasty. Big Show wanted to be Big Nasty. That's where that comes from. But Vince, As all- opposed to Big Sexy? I guess. I don't know where, what the hell that came from. But Vince McMahon always had and everything was done for the Big Show. Not Big Nasty. Why do they call him Paul White so much? You know, that's another, I don't get it. Maybe to differentiate him from the giant, to give him a real name. But the funny thing about that is before Big Show started, the speeches that we got from Vince McMahon, talking about we don't refer to him as the giant because that's what wcw called him yeah my god he's the big show and get over the big show name it was now it's just second nature he's big show
1: it It, is yeah it
0: has become his name at the time the big show it sounded funny coming out of your mouth it does now we take it for granted, but that's repetition and Vince's way of of constantly reminding people of, of a name and how he. Why move it away it.
1: from the real name? I mean, I, I know you could say, "Oh, well, then we own it." Blah blah blah. But that, but that is why. But you start him with it. Why not fucking roll with it? See, I don't understand why the hell they they started with it. Yeah,
0: they started with it and dropped it. So you don't know what changed. I think Vince finally just getting into everybody. There, there was a, there was. These movements sometimes of make it real. It's like Diesel. Well, he's hey, I'm Kevin Nash. Diesel. I played at the University of Tennessee. Let's be real. Uh, fuck that. You're either Paul White or you're the Big Show. Yeah. Paul White, the Big Show, takes way too long to say and introduce. So just be the damn Big Show. And I think people were getting mixed messages sometimes.
1: Uh, if you thought the dude was too heavy, why sign him for more money? What do you mean sign him for more money. Well, he, more, he brought he they brought him in with a with a huge contract for many years. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying though. Like he wasn't making shit in WCW by comparison, and so now you guys are going to sign him for a lot more money. If you know that they don't have a big money offer, or you suspect they don't, why do you come after him with so much money? If you think. Well goddamn, he's gotta lose all this weight or we can't even use him. Why pay him so much if you don't think you can use him?
0: Well there was a weight clause in his contract, first of all. So he he did have to make weight. And there was a weight clause, and yes, Big Show did get heavy, and yes he was sent down to Louisville over the years to go and drop weight and get in shape. Um but he was looked at as an investment and as an attraction. Vince loves his giants.
1: Meltzer wrote that the deal to bring him in was put together by White's agent and the help of Bushwhacker Luke, of all people, who acted as a little bit of a liaison to keep Vince from looking like he was tampering. Supposedly, the deal is 10 years for nearly a million dollars a year, and Hogan even advised Paul to take it. How do you remember the deal coming together?
0: Um, Luke wasn't Luke helped out in that i believe jerry briscoe helped out in that how fucking random is that what's that
1: just that bushwhacker luke's brokering deals i don't know as a, i just think of him as whoa <laughs> yay yes.
0: yay i a big show hey hey <laughs> mate on douchebag um sorry that's one word i learned from bushwhacker luke douchebag but he was a power broker in the wrestling business. He had been a booker for years, a Tampa guy, so he knew everybody. We had to be very careful. We had to be very careful how we approached talent, who approached talent, what was said. So, yeah, we had he had an interme- intermediary, his agent Jimmy, a nice guy that we went through.
1: Uh, let's talk about Sable. We're going to talk about her a lot on this show. Uh, Melts around this time reports that there was a lot of internal heat about her. <laughs> supposedly, Sable and Miro had both asked for their release from brand-newly signed contracts, but they were turned down. Allegedly, the WWF felt like they had too much potential exposure coming with her Playboy cover coming out in early March. But a lot of the problems supposedly stemmed from a TSN appearance with Deborah and China. Do you remember this? I sure do. So let's kind of catch everybody up here. Uh, Meltzer would report that these guys had a little bit of a debate and it turned into a shoot and feelings on both sides were ruffled. Uh, supposedly the host Landsberg asked why China wasn't the WWF women's champion, and she said something like she wasn't interested in the title had never challenged for it, but if she did. She can beat Sable in two seconds. Uh, Sable said that they never wrestled, so how could she say that? China says she's twice as big and twice as strong. Somewhere in Sable's comeback, she asked, exactly what do you put in your body to make yourself twice as big and twice as strong? Somehow, someone brings up plastic surgery and Sable says that China has had more plastic surgery than anyone in the company. And eventually, a lot of the boys side with China and think that Sable has gone over the line here, talking about plastic surgery and specifically the drug issue. And apparently, Sable and Miro started to argue that they didn't come to the WWF for her to be a wrestler, she was never trained to be a wrestler. And a lot of the office starts to think, you know what? She's just got all this extra attention from Playboy and this extra cash. So now she's getting the big head. Either way, things go poorly. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Mark Merrill's relationship with Sable another time. I'm sure but let's focus on this China Sable fight. What the hell happened?
0: Oh, well, pretty much what you just said. Uh, they were put in a situation where, And I believe it was live as well with Landsberg. But Reno really wasn't prepared. She didn't know how to address that question. China, to China's defense, I think that China handled it the correct way how she would for her character. And if I was producing it and I could have been in Sable's ear, I would have... Just turned it around instead of (laughs) instead of going on the the attack. Just say, hey, well, maybe one day we'll find out and leave it because nobody wins in that regard. And there was a lot of heat. Sable was getting a lot of attention. She was the most popular female in the business at that time. She was on Playboy. It became one of the largest selling Playboys in the history of the magazine. She was on top of the world. So there was a lot of jealousy. There was a lot of pettiness going back and forth. Yeah, there was just a lot of ruffled feathers. She wasn't a worker. She never wanted to be a worker. She had no desire. But Russo kept pushing her into this the role of a wrestler, put the championship on her, put her in the ring without training, without knowing what the hell she was doing in there and tried to get through these matches because she was the most popular thing on the female side at the time.
1: It's worth mentioning that she turned heel on TV not too long after this and then took some time off for what Meltzer called her 31st boob job. She appeared on Regis and Kathy Lee, and then, as we mentioned earlier, got the fourth spot on this TV guide cover. You know, and all of this kind of begs the question to me, Bruce, if she wants out of here, she's not getting along with the gals. Um, if she's so damn difficult to work with and deal with, how does she keep getting all these opportunities?
0: Well, i tell you the truth. That she wasn't that difficult to deal with. She had a lot of people that looked at her and were jealous of her success. She didn't know how to handle some situations. However, I feel... That we as a company put her in situations without preparing her for them. She should have never been in the ring. She didn't train. She didn't want to. We should have protected her in that regard. Instead, we just threw her out there.
1: Because she she was was, popping a rating because people wanted to see her.
0: You damn right she was. Yeah. And she made a lot of money uh, from merchandise. All. She checked all the boxes. Yeah. So they put her in a situation that it was a no-win situation for her. Right. So it wasn't... But how did she alienate herself from all the boys? She Mark helped. <laughs> Mark kind of helped in that a lot. Mark became almost a, a stage husband.
1: Yeah. Suitcase uh, pimp.
0: Yes. Yeah. And he, he alienated a lot of the guys. But the boys, it, and she kept to herself... If you know Rena, if you ever if you've ever been around her, you'll you'll see that she is very quiet. She doesn't socialize with a lot of people. She doesn't you know, get out there and just jump in the conversation. So she didn't hang out with the other girls. She wasn't a wrestler. She didn't particularly like being in the ring, but they kept putting her in there. And you put her in there with, with girls that are on the roster like Jacqueline, who's a hell of a worker, uh, Luna, and
1: people that love being in the ring. There's a lot of jealousy going on. Well, and there certainly was a lot of jealousy, and ultimately it was the end of a few relationships not too long from here. You had the end of her relationship with the WWF not too long after this, and you've also got the end of her relationship with Mark Merrow. They didn't have too many more anniversaries after that, did they? No, they didn't. So they start promoting, uh, or uh, it starts to look like they're going to do X-Pac and Shane in a singles match at WrestleMania. And Meltzer wrote, Shane as a character is way too similar to that of Eric Bischoff. Vince is a super performer, not that he doesn't get out of control at times. Shane is a good performer doing heel interviews, but he oversteps and does so much of what he's not good at as well. And due to that, comes across as the boss using TV as his ego tool how do you think he did in his first matches obviously his wrestlemania match was very good it far exceeded all expectations we'll get there but his early stuff not that fucking great and he's on tv and he's in a he's in a bad spot here because he's going to be extra scrutinized because he's the boss's son yeah it sucked but it's a, tough, it's a
0: tough place to be in, so he went out there and he did the very best that he could. What people didn't see was Shane McMahon in the ring every single night, no matter what the temperature. <laughs> it was 30 degrees in that damn warehouse with my brother working out for hours on end every single day, learning the trade, doing everything that he could to get better in the ring. So I got a lot of respect for Shane. He was put in the position, didn't have the, didn't have what everybody else had, years and years of experience. He was thrust in because of his name and who he was. I thought he did a great job considering.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean, at WrestleMania, he hits a home run compared to what everybody expected. Meltzer even says that Shane did take it seriously and trained every single day with Pritchard, uh, the good Pritchard, not you um leading up to the wrestlemania match so uh what the fuck uh, somebody laughed at i can that. be a good Pritch- yeah my brother tom was laughing at that yeah. going eh, hey, fuck him what was that old line um oh my god it's your favorite fucking line i'd take a bullet for tom i'd put one in bruce yeah yeah well you love that one don't you well here's the deal everybody knows you're the pritchard with a gun i mean it's available in the archives now my Bruce got fired. Go check it out. Uh, reca- do fuck you. <laughs> Recapping uh, the match from February where Rock won the belt back from Mankind in Birmingham. Meltzer wrote, quote, Mankind put on a great performance and Rock is on his way to being one of the biggest stars this industry has ever seen. End quote. When did you guys know that? Like, when did you personally say, God damn, he's going to be one of the biggest stars ever? I'll tell you.
0: You feel it. And it, this is going to sound hokey as shit.
1: I knew the first time I saw him.
0: No, I'll tell you. No, it wasn't the first time I saw him, no. I knew the first time I saw him that he was natural uh, in Houston, Texas, when he came in for his tryout. But the first time that I went, holy shit, man, that kid is going to be special, was in the warehouse. And he was in the ring and just jumped up on the second rope uh, in the corner and looked out in an empty warehouse
1: but pretended
0: but pretended and he just had that it but i remember that moment Got the swagger about him he had yeah and from university of my, miami my brother tom trained him and tom would always say when i would get on tom about man when you're out there tooting your own horn talk about the people that you've trained from kurt angle the rock mark henry all these different guys vent shane these different people He picks Rock out and says, you know what? I didn't have to do that much with Rock. He had it. I just showed him where to put it. Wow, that's a great line. So Rock always had it. It was inside of him. He just needed somebody to teach him where to to put it.
1: Yeah, this is not the sunny episode. Uh, this also is around the same time that Mankind lands the Chef Boy RD commercial we talked about on the Beyond the Mat episode. Obviously, we've already kind of ran through how the Chef Boy RD commercial kind of came together for Mankind. But it seems like a weird person to have endorse your product. Uh, the WWF here is arguably at its most raunchy. Uh, and it even gets coverage, I guess, everywhere. USA Today, Inside Edition, uh, Politically Incorrect, Outside the Lines, Nightline, uh, everywhere. Uh, and they kind of recap all the bad stuff where Hunter asked a lady to take her top off at a house show. Chyna had her breast grabbed on TV. A <laughs> blue Mark Henry. <laughs> <laughs> you just said that
0: out loud <laughs> oh, god. oh god and then there was the, <laughs>
1: the blue mark henry folks we eased up we're trying to get her breast grabs blue mark henry uh-huh. uh the godfather's hose were lifting their dresses and bending over deborah was in Doesn't the brown everybody... panties uh road dog was wearing 420 shirts And Phil Mushnick even reports that the WWF floated the idea of having what they called accidental nudity at the WrestleMania pay-per-view. And they got, uh, on a conference call with Eminem Mars, the corporate sponsor of the show, and at least one cable executive and both vetoed the idea. True or false about this accidental nudity? And hypothetically, who would it have been? I
0: have no idea. I, I have no knowledge of anybody asking accidental nudity at (laughs) WrestleMania. (laughs) I I did accidental nudity in uh, the UK on a pay-per-view one time. That's what
1: I want to talk about because I know this happened at least twice with Miss Kitty and Jackie.
0: Yeah, but Jackie was the only one that was ever planned. Miss Kitty was in the business business for herself.
1: herself. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There was only one that was planned that was in the UK and we had the blessing of the folks over in the UK. So let me ask this. And Jackie was completely cool with it.
1: Let me hear <laughs> hypothetically if Vince were to pitch Miss Jackie on here's what I need you to do, what would that sound like? It wasn't what he needed her to do. Jackie, um, as you know,
0: here in the, in the UK, they're, they're a little more brazen, and they've got uh, you've seen Benny Hinn, and they've, they've got a lot of nudity in the newspaper and, and things of that nature. Would you have an issue if perhaps in the middle of the match that your top might come off? And she was cool with it.
1: She's like, yeah, I don't care. That wasn't nearly as fun as I hoped for. I'm sorry. I mean, but that was it. I mean, that was actually the shoot conversation because I was there. Well, damn it. This is a podcast trying to be entertaining. What might it have sounded like if he was trying to be an entertainer?
0: And then from there, you're on her shoulder, and bam, your
1: tits pop out. And the world gets Jackie's tits. Is that better? Thank you. Okay. Uh, now, of course, Meltzer. Chocolate titties. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't ready. Uh, this could be our last <laughs> show, folks. You never know. But, this like we, we oh might my going God, out I love Jacqueline, man. Jackie no, it's great. bad bitch. Shorty agrees. Uh, as far as the short term goes, the public has spoken with these words. The raunchier, the better. Raw pulled its all-time record rating on 3-1, doing a 6.32 and a 9.6 share. Meanwhile, Nitro did a 4.32 and a 6.4 share. Although, over the head-to-head period, the Nitro rating was 3.87 and a 5.9 share. There was no period head-to-head where the ratings were competitive. That's word for word from the Wrestling Observer. So, this kind of begs the question to me, Bruce. Who introduced Raunchy, and when did Vince get on board with it?
0: I don't know the time frame. It was simply... An issue of let, let's go further than anybody else will go, and let's take it to the limit. Let's get to that line, lean over it, and see how far we can go. And the audience ate it up. They they loved it. I did. They, respond, they responded by watching. They responded by buying more merchandise. The, the numbers say it all.
1: Around this time, Inside Edition runs a piece reporting that the Indiana University studied 50 oh God, episodes of Raw yeah. and found 1,658 instances of a wrestler grabbing or pointing to his crotch or roughly once every four minutes. 434 references to the phrase suck it, 157 instances of giving the finger, etc. And it's quoted as saying bringing these figures up to an argumentative Vince McMahon was a pretty strong (laughs) segment. McMahon came off bad to most, a total jerk to the general public. Do you remember this segment on inside edition?
0: Oh yes,
1: definitely. Where was this shot? What was the thought on when it came out? I'm sure Vince tried to spin it and say it's a hit piece or whatever.
0: Yeah. You know what? In this particular piece, Vince came off just so damn defensive Almost like a bully, yeah. In, in that, nothing that we did, you know, it was all okay. It was, it was kind of like the guy, the old Saturday Night Live skit, Dan Aykroyd that said, "Bag of glass, bag of glass." I knew you were exactly, you know, Johnny Switchblade, and, <laughs> and, and, and well, well, look at this, uh, the chainsaw thing,
1: bag of glass. Yeah, um, L- let me, that's what it came across as to me. In the segment, Vince claimed that WWF didn't use prostitutes and that the words prostitutes or whores was never even used on the show. So, of course, the the Inside Edition interviewer says, what about hoes? And he says, "Uh, hoes is a street term that...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hoes is a street term for ladies uh, of the evening. God damn it, you dumbass. They're not whores. What the hell are you trying to say? A the, prostitute is a whore.
1: Plenty of the evening and whore and prostitute are the same. That's what I'm saying. Whores and prostitutes are bad. Hoes are fun. Hey, <laughs> you know, Roll tight on that. Yeah. Uh, he Don't says. wants to deal with a whore.
0: <laughs> but a hoe, hey.
1: Well, there's there's.
0: Ho, ho, ho. Santa Claus.
1: He says the people who played, uh, these characters are actresses and not actually prostitutes. Well, he also <laughs> Just
0: well, kidding, know.
1: folks, hey. I
0: hide to hire
1: them. Uh, how would, how would Jerry Jarrett line up the prostitutes? <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> well, you know, you, know.
0: Uh, you, you want to do what? Huh? To my pee Oh God. Oh dear.
1: Uh so any uh, <laughs> any question as to whether or not we were gonna continue mocking Jerry Jarrett is <laughs> out the window. Well
0: you know. Uh we you know this show's a lot more fun when we're having a lot of Miller Light.
1: Miller
0: Light makes everything more fun.
1: Hashtag it's Miller Time. Roll Tide. He says there's no satanic references on Raw. And that nobody dies and nobody gets raped. Do you imagine when you start with this company in 87, you're even going to be discussing shit like this? Whores, prostitutes, raped, murder. Nobody got murdered. No, I know. That's what he said. No one dies. No one gets raped. There's no Satan. Just hose and suck it. Yeah,
0: no insertion.
1: Oh, gosh. Were you ever embarrassed to be involved with the WWE? Never. Uh, Vince is in I was,
0: the. I, you know what, man? Hey, you asked that question. No, I was proud of my time there. I loved it. I, I, I there was nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing. Nothing.
1: We're gonna, nothing. we're gonna find out on this show. Oh uh, shit! Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hey right, we'll get pal. there. Damn we'll it. get there. God damn it, Bruce! Uh, mouth insert he was there's no insertion pal he's Um, on the daily news heaving vince mcmahon
0: touch my what
1: (laughs) Ribbing his critics saying they have no sense of humor and he says quote lofty politicians out of touch moral crusaders who don't have a clue and egghead professors with flimsy studies treat the common man with contempt
0: and whores
1: oh sorry dude's worth hundreds of millions of dollars and He's talking about the common man. He argued that a lot of kids don't really watch, and that that's hilarious. And that Livewire and Superstars were edited to be more kid friendly. Now, doesn't that imply that Raw isn't kid friendly? Huh? If you're saying we well, that's edit, that's he's saying. He's saying that Raw was was more adult oriented. Okay, kind of defeats his argument. Uh, Meltzer wrote somewhere in here There's been a lot of uh, reports during the week That due to the success of Raw The USA Network was asking to expand the show to three hours I didn't know this until I did my research this week Uh, The WWF uh, actually puts out word That they know nothing of this proposal Did you ever hear about this? That it was kicked around that Raw might be considered for three hours? No, not at that time Uh, Somewhere in here, Meltzer also reports the four-way for the IC title will most certainly be Val Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and Billy Gunn. At one point, Gunn was supposed to win, although plans change often. Of course, as we'll discuss here, Billy Gunn and Road Dogg essentially switch places where Billy is battling for the hardcore title and Road Dogg is in the IC match. Do you know why the switch? I we got, have no idea. There was so much switching and swerving and bullshit going on at that we time. We got so many questions about that in particular because the Road Dogg had been working a lot of hardcore matches and then he's out of the hardcore match and he's the intercontinental champion. Yeah. It just seems
0: like it was, it was it, was it was, changing
1: for the sake of changing?
0: I think it was, yeah.
1: Okay. I feel like you're not shitting on someone during the show that you really want to.
0: I just feel that at the time, there was so much that was done to swerve. Let's swerve.
1: You're using the wrong accent. Yeah, I can't do that
0: accent. I can't do a fucking Yankee accent. But when everything is a swerve, the swerve no longer is a swerve. Yeah. It's
1: just the same shit so i just think that
0: when you do it all the time it no longer becomes special
1: uh, at one point on raw mankind comes out and says quote uh, screwed worse than a white house intern now McMahon likes to make lots of political references but that feels like a russo line if you had to bet a dollar which vince fed him that line I bet that one was McMahon. I think so, too. Um, They introduced the Mean Street Posse on a segment on Raw. And Meltzer wrote, they show a video showing Shane's friends talking about what a tough street fighter Shane was growing up on the mean streets of Greenwich, Connecticut, while showing BMWs and Porsches all over the road. It was pretty funny. The Mean Street Posse was actually Shane's buddies from Greenwich that he went to school with. They
0: all hung out. They all did uh you know, that that was their their weekend, all hung out together, drank together, partied together, had a good time together. a Bunch of actually really great guys. I, I liked every one every one of those guys. From Rodney to Pete to Crazy Billy. I hope Crazy Billy's listening. I can't remember Billy's last name, but he was crazy than shit. And there were two more in the in there as well. But they were actually Shane's buddies.
1: Isn't it amazing? that you could be a Christopher Daniels and a Reckless Youth and a Steve Carino. Hit the bricks, pal. Shane, get some of those sweater vests in here. No, that's not what happened. It was a way to
0: enhance Shane. So the Mean Street Posse, when they came out, that was never meant to be characters. They were never meant to, to come on and be a part of the show. They were just part of Shane's vignettes. And then... People
1: <laughs> like them. People liked them, so they made them characters. Uh, eventually, it comes out that the Sable Luna match that was originally planned for WrestleMania is going to be changed, most likely to Sable versus Tori. Tell us about Luna's exit. She was fired.
0: Yeah, Luna was let go. Luna was a bit unpredictable. Luna was having a tough time during this period she had gotten in a couple fights with girls backstage. Sunny, which we covered in the archives. Yeah, but uh, Sunny was gone at this point. It was... Uh, I believe she'd gotten in a in an argument with Jackie. I think she'd gotten in an argument with... obviously with Sable.
1: Uh, how, how have you said obviously? Well,
0: everybody was getting in arguments with Sable at that point. And I believe she had even had uh, an altercation with one of the agents at some point. She just was...
1: Difficult to do business, She was
0: letting everybody know that she was unhappy. So Vince was at the point where if you're unhappy,
1: then go be unhappy somewhere else. Yeah. Somewhere building to uh, WrestleMania, Shane beats both Patterson and Briscoe, who are dressed up as the (laughs) Legion of Doom, before hitting both guys with belt shots and then pinning them at the same time. Uh, What did Briscoe and Patterson think about this shit? Well, it was obviously a work. Clearly. (laughs) My but God. Yeah,
0: that was a parody match. It wasn't like they actually had a competitive match. Well, and,
1: it was a work because. Well, because if Briscoe wanted to hook
0: you, would be hooked, pal. Uh,
1: I've always wanted to ask you about this because around this time, you guys did a segment with Jerry Lawler at the Playboy Mansion. And, of course, this is being done to promote Sable and Playboy. You got any fun Playboy Mansion stories?
0: I do, but you ain't going to get them here because I didn't do this. I Got to the Playboy Mansion a little bit later. I got there after this. Um, I wasn't there for that, but okay. I do have. I do later on. Um, it's actually one of the uh, poll suggestions this week. It's probably the only one you'll pick of my suggestions um,
1: with one of my Playboy Mansion stories. Uh, let's talk about Nicole Bass. She Nicole. was not in Playboy. Uh, she was signed to a conditional developmental contract leading up to WrestleMania. And uh, Meltzer wrote, quote, she may be a bodyguard for Sable or an opponent for China or play the role of a kickboxer who had a sex change operation. I have no idea where that comes from. Yeah, he says, he says the WWF did a casting call for women wrestlers for a proposed glow like show this past week in Los Angeles. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Let's drill down on Nicole Bass. Tell me about Nicole Bass. And first we should mention she's passed away this year. Howard Stern fans would remember that that's what she's most famous for. When she debuts on Raw, you actually hear Jerry Lawler say that. In my head, Vince Russo being from New York and a longtime Howard Stern fan, he probably discovers her on Howard Stern, wants to sign her. True or false? True. Tell me about working with Nicole.
0: (sighs) I hate to speak ill of the dead. I really and truly do. I didn't know Nicole. Nicole was a very sweet woman. Very, very sweet. Very nice. However, she did not have any wrestling experience. And I was asked to, to find her, get her, and, and bring her in, sign her. She was in the process of suing ECW at the time. We were also at the time in a financial arrangement with ECW as well. I talked to Paul Heyman about her. Uh, he suggested that I not do any do any business with her. Well,
1: it's it's worth mentioning right here. I don't know what you're going to say or not say, but Meltzer wrote in her obituary that uh, her husband was a drug dealer, and her husband was, was a former cop too. Was responsible for bringing a lot of drugs into the ECW locker room, and that is why Heyman uh, didn't necessarily think so highly. Of their situation.
0: Is that true? I don't know if he's a drug dealer or not. You I didn't was, get I, your shit from him? Nope. Okay. Um, I got my shit from somebody else. But he was allegedly a former New York City police officer. Now, I, I heard the same things from from Paul Heyman, but I know Paul's rub on her was that she sued him.
1: And she sued ECW. For?
0: I don't really remember. Wrongful know. termination? I
1: don't, I don't remember. She sued the WWF for sexual harassment oh, yeah, and, accused, and accused accused Brooklyn Lamar, Brawler, yeah. of all people, of sexually harassing her. Now, that's hilarious for a few reasons you could figure them out on your own. Nicole was just, it was a bad hire. It was
0: Russo liked her, uh, I guess from the Howard Stern thing. Well, he she had a her. phenomenal look. She had a great look. She had a tremendous look, but she had no skills in the ring at all. She couldn't talk. Plus she
1: was extremely dangerous in pretty much everything that she did in the ring. Wait, 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 wait. You guys didn't have a problem doing that for Ahmed Johnson. What's the difference?
0: Ahmed was at least trained. Really? Yeah. Who claimed that shit? Michael Hayes. No, No, he he didn't. didn't. They did. No, he didn't. That was Michael Hayes' guy. Is this a rib? No rib. Not a rib. But Nicole, in my opinion, was just not a good fit, wasn't a good hire, and I, yeah, wasn't real happy about that one. But, by God, I got her signed.
1: I was asked to do that. Any of the boys have a fetish for her? God, I hope not. That's hurtful. I'm sorry. Uh, in March, Stone Cold came out on Raw, driving a Coors Light beer truck and sprayed beer all over Vince, Rock, and Shane. Uh, they had the ring set up with two mat covers during the commercial. Simply removed one so they could have the matches and go on with the dry ring without a major delay. segment was great. What are your memories of this match? Of this was, angle? It was great. It was, <laughs> I just thought it was a really cool visual, but it was a great segment. Was a great segment. Uh, let's briefly discuss the brood for a minute. They're doing all kinds of weird shit. Uh, they're they're giving bloodbaths to Deborah. They're kidnapping and crucifying Rocco Rock. Uh, do you remember anybody in particular pushing back on bloodbaths and crucifixions?
0: No, but I just thought it was in horrible taste. And the reason I thought it was in horrible taste, not because of any anything other than the. Just a connotation being covered in blood. And I, I get it. it. Wasn't blood. It wasn't real blood. And it was symbolic. It was symbolic. It was a symbolic blood. blood. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later, too. But it
1: was, I just thought, gross. Uh, Meltzer's idea? I mean, not Meltzer's idea. Yeah, it was R- Meltzer's idea. Russo's idea? I guess. What is, I guess, what does
0: that mean? I guess I wasn't, I wasn't a part of those decisions. What were, what were you doing here? I was doing talent relations and developmental.
1: Okay. So you were in trouble here in timeout.
0: Yeah. I was in timeout at this point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bruce, <laughs> Brucey was in the corner. What'd you do to get put in timeout? I don't know. Just fell out of favor. I just fell out of favor. You weren't the favorite and I you, would, and you yeah. became pout boy because yes. he was going with Russo. Yes. Yeah, so, so I pouted. What was Pat doing besides being a stooge? Being a stooge okay so, pat, uh,
0: pat was Pat was on one of his many retirements, so uh, pat was he's had a lot of those he He has had a lot of those uh, I wish I could retire like Pat, but Pat was happy being you know he was an agent and a character and he didn't have to he wasn't in the office at that time. he was living in
1: Florida and Montreal in his mobile home park uh,
0: it's a modular
1: home. What's the difference? Ask him, I'm just busting balls. We had a conversation about it. Uh, Meltzer reports that uh, you and Jim Ross and Rick Bassman uh, headed a casting call with women bodybuilders, powerlifters, fitness girls, stunt women, martial arts women, and the goal is to try to get like a glow-style show going, and there's rumor that this is supposed to happen on UPN. What happened?
0: The idea was, did we have enough talent to do an all-female show? It was going to be a... Wrestling show, one hour, maybe 30 minutes, that just featured the women wrestlers. We were looking for uh, fitness models that that wanted to learn to be wrestlers, just kind of getting outside of the business. Not the traditional women wrestler a la Moolah and Mae Young. Yeah. So we were looking for, we got Lisa Marie out of this. Really? Uh,
1: Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, the New York times reports, uh, right before WrestleMania on March 24th, that the WWF was expected to sign a lease anytime for the WWF raw restaurant in times square on Broadway and 43rd street across from where ABC would be opening the new good morning America. I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but tell us about how you first heard. We're opening a restaurant. Hmm. <laughs>
0: No, it wasn't a restaurant. It was an experience on Times Square. It was a
1: WWF experience
0: complete with
1: restaurant and merchandise store. How much, how much steroids did they use on the uh, chickens? You know,
0: those kind of questions was the bullshit that I have to put up with, folks. Um, the food was actually pretty damn good in the beginning. In the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, and then it just kind of went downhill. But in the beginning, it was pretty good.
1: We'll talk about... We had chefs, then we got cooks. Yeah, there is a difference. There is a difference. We'll talk about uh, the restaurant in the future, I'm sure. I want to talk about something else interesting you guys tried here. We got some questions about this. The WrestleMania Rage Party. And if you're out of the loop on this, it is online. You can go find it. It's not on the network. But it is online. Just uh, throw it in your Google machine. The WrestleMania Rage Party, and it aired on the USA Network at 10 o'clock the night before WrestleMania. This was an interesting idea to me. You had Isaac Hayes there. You had the Cherry Poppin' Daddies. You're uh, being introduced by Val Venus, no less. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, everybody's favorite, Big Punisher. Uh, tell us your memories of the WrestleMania Rage Party special.
0: Hated it. Absolutely hated it. The idea was Bob Collins, I believe. And Bob Collins was Mr. WrestleMania, the guy that promoted it. He thought instead of we we didn't do a fan access, he thought instead of that, what if we had a huge party the night before WrestleMania? Because there were a lot of people that were coming in from out of town just for WrestleMania. So he thought, hey, they can go out to a party. They can party with the, the wrestlers. They can have a good time, drink, and we have a whole lot of bands and superstars that they can party with. So we made it an event. It was an opportunity to come out and see Stone Cold Steve Austin, to see The Rock, The Corporate, uh, whatever the hell they were, The Ministry. Everybody that was involved in feature matches at WrestleMania was going to be involved in this Rage Party, along with these musical acts. So we had to, in addition to putting together WrestleMania on Sunday, I had to put together a Rage Party that would air live on the USA Network and dealing with all of these musical acts and and prima donnas (laughs) throughout the night. To kind of have them interact with our superstars and try to make sense of it all in somehow, some way, interact with all of our talent and make sense of it all and make it good enough to get people to tune in on a Saturday night before WrestleMania and rage. Now, it just wasn't a party, man. It was a rage party. So I guess that makes it extra special.
1: Any interesting stories about dealing with uh, any of the bands or the musical acts? How was Isaac Hayes? How was Big Pun? How were the Cherry Popping Daddies?
0: Well, Isaac Hayes was great. He was uh, he was pretty easy to deal with. He didn't. Want, he was funny, man. He didn't want to do Salty Balls, which is what he was famous for. From South Park, yeah. Yes, he, he, he didn't want to do that. But the guy, Big Pun was uh this gigantic guy about five hundred pounds. He couldn't make it up the steps to the stage, so we had to get a forklift. What? To get him up. Is that a rib? Not a rib. How many stairs was it? Uh, I don't know. It was probably half a flight of stairs. Brother was big. Yoko Zena could have did that. Well Yoko's a damn athlete. Okay, cool. There
1: you go. Um I don't know a nice way to ask this. How many, uh, how many delicious cold Miller lights had Steve Austin had before he did his promo that night? Quite a few. Uh, Philly sold the show out and drew 18,274 folks with 16,756 paid for a gate of $1,438,000. Uh, and another two hundred and seventy four grand in merchandise. That broke down to sixteen dollars and thirty eight cents per head in merchandise, which was top three in the history of pro wrestling, and it was the highest gate the WWF had in nine years. So a huge financial success by anyone's description. The observer readers gave Mania only a fifty-five percent thumbs up, but still that's the majority. Um uh, And what will most likely prove to be the biggest revenue-grossing pro wrestling event in history, Steve Austin regained the WWF title at WrestleMania 15, a show far more notable for production and booking than any of the wrestling, wrote Dave Meltzer. The basic consensus seemed to be a mild thumbs up for the show, although the reaction to this was all across the board, as there were people who thought it was the best show in years and many who thought it was terrible. If a wrestling show is constituted by the quality of the matches from start to finish, then this was a thumbs-down show with only two good matches, tops out of ten. If it's based on surprises, booking, and angles, it's a thumbs-up. If it's based on crowd reaction to either and both, it would be a thumbs-up, since only the main event had good heat, and that's with a super-hype job going in. If it's based on presenting a well-produced television it would be the best wrestling pay per view of the year. So that's what Dave wrote. What do you think? How did you rate this WrestleMania? Thumbs in the middle. There was some good stuff. There was some good stuff. There was there a lot was of some really shitty stuff too. Uh, we got lots of questions about this, so let's just go ahead and talk about it first. Meltzer wrote the Austin title win was expected going in, but given away. As late in the show, Michael Cole made an announcement before the match even started that after the event on the Home Shopping Network, the new champ, Steve Austin, would appear. Uh, Tell me the fallout from this. People were still talking about it today. It's one of the things people remember most about the show and tweeted us most about the show. Were you guys in Gorilla as events flipping the fuck out? Do you remember this? Actually, I don't. And I don't know that anybody actually probably caught it that night. I don't know. I don't remember that. The first time you heard it was just now. Well, yeah, the other day. Wow. Uh, when you watched the show this week, did you see it then, or did no, they edit it out of I the think network? They edited
0: it out of the network. Yeah, I'm sure they did. It.
1: Uh, let's maybe talk they, about maybe it was there. I just didn't. I just missed it. Let's talk about the live event, the dark matches and such. Uh, Jacqueline pinned Ivory after a minute and 24 seconds after a back suplex. Terry Reynolds came out, and after the match, Reynolds burned Ivory with a cigar until Tory ran in for the save. Kevin Kelly then told the kids at home not to copy the moves from these trained professionals. <laughs> Who decides that this disclaimer is necessary? Well, it was on Free For All,
0: so it was being broadcast out there. It was actually being broadcast on the USA. Was, no, I think this was being broadcast on that old TV Guide channel that's now Pop TV. Oh, okay that you know they would uh do the the tv the guide channel was
1: pop tv yeah
0: i didn't realize that but they would do the the guide and then the top third they would run programming sometimes so we we would do those free-for-alls i don't know if this was it but i'm pretty sure it was a it was a free deal so the disclaimer
1: had to be there uh the next match has d brown and test and they uh Did a 21-man battle royal with the winners getting a tag tag title shot at WrestleMania, and they did this in four minutes and 16 seconds. I found it interesting. Oh, it's worth mentioning here that Owen and Jeff Jarrett did commentary. Deborah was there for the eye candy aspect.
0: Spend my days working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight.
1: Uh, Meltzer described this battle royal here as a Titanic battle royal. You heard that phrase before? Uh, no. It says the goal is everybody tries to get out as soon as possible. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bossman did an interview, but the lights go out and Undertaker's voice comes over the PA uh, and of course, this winds up with the brood hitting the ring, the lights going out, and Boss Man gets a bloodbath. And then Mankind shows up, and uh, he and Paul White begin a backstage brawl, which is kind of funny because you see it looks like Big Show falls over a box and tips <laughs> over.
0: Uh,
1: but it allows Austin to just walk through the door. So then the Big Show, uh, not Paul White, but WrestleMania, begins. And uh, boys to men are here singing America the Beautiful. What was your uh, memories of working with Boys to Men, who were a really big deal in the late '90s? It feels like they had like every prom theme song for like four years in a row. <laughs> Actually, they're, they're local uh, Philadelphia kids.
0: Absolutely. So the, they were they were pros, man. They were nice as could be. They were pros all the way. They got there early, man. They did their rehearsal. Not much to say, man. They were good. You, you, ha- you have the ones that stand out that are maybe assholes.
1: How about Run DMC? How are they at WrestleMania? At WrestleMania,
0: fine. Previous <laughs> WrestleMania doing promos, they were assholes. Uh, but for the most part, these, these kids are real respectful. Real respectful. How many million for me to say. How many million
1: likes have you had? Not enough. Uh, so then we set up the show with a phenomenal video from Freddie Blassie. Was this the best thing on the show? got to be near the top this was a david sahati production man good shit that was fantastic is this the one that made vince cry
0: the this one did yes but all, all of those legends ones that uh, vince loved oh yeah they were great with ernie ladd in them and and uh, arnie scoland and gorilla tremendous stuff
1: so let's get started uh first match on the main card Uh, Bob Holly regains the hardcore title in a three-way match with Billy Gunn and Al Snow. Runs about seven minutes. Crowd's kind of dead to get started, and then Al Snow pulls out a hockey stick from under the ring. That gets a Let's Go Flyers chant from this Philly crowd. Then he breaks the hockey stick on Holly's back and a broomstick over Gunn's back. Both of those were gimmicks, no matter what Bruce says. Uh, And then you see some chair shots, some table stuff. And then the Famouser, and uh, he goes for the pin. Holly makes the save and then jumps on him to win the title. It gets a star and a quarter. Any comments on this match? Is the thought, hey, it's Philadelphia. Let's give them a hot opener. Let's give them, in the home of VCW, a hardcore match to kind of jumpstart the crowd. And then we'll do some more traditional wrestling and match two. Or what's the thinking?
0: The idea is always start off with a hot match and it was a hot match. So get out there with a lot of action and shit happening and then comment down from there.
1: Were you a fan of hardcore matches? Nope. Match number two, Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett regain the WWF tag team titles. Owen and Jeff Jarrett retain the tag titles, beating D'Lo and test, uh, in just under four minutes. Ivory comes out wearing clothes. She was out there scantily clad in her match, but this time she has a bandaid on her face since, you know, they just put a cigar out on her face. Uh, Deborah is in a white bikini and the finish comes when Delo sets up a power bomb on Jarrett, but Owen nails him with a missile drop kick and Jarrett uses a jackknife cradle for the pin star and a quarter. I love the finish of the match. I thought it was executed perfectly. I was really impressed with the execution of the finish. Was this a waste of Jarrett and Owen? You've got two guys who've been praised as big talents. Uh, I mean, Owen specifically has really maybe been underutilized. What say Bruce? What say you? Got him on the show. So
0: that's a good thing. But... You know it is it is what it is you don't have enough time for everybody what What would your uh cohort on what happened when Monday say about what Deborah was wearing? that was kind of hot uh he would be all about it. you think so? yeah, he's a pervert, you know uh, I
1: think he would refer to you as a slap dick. He'd like to slap my dick. Let's move along uh, before the match uh the max match we're about to cover. Uh, which is Butterbean and bark gun? That's what's coming up next. But before that, they introduced the judges. And, of course, there's other judges. But let's talk about the one we want to hear about, Gorilla Monsoon. I believe this is his first appearance in public since he had his health problems. And it might actually be his last on TV. He had lost a ton of weight. He didn't look awesome. But he got a huge pop. Uh, And he looked almost moved by the reaction. What do you remember about this with Gorilla?
0: It was Philadelphia, which was Gorilla's hometown. And it was WrestleMania. So not to have Gorilla be a part of it would have been a travesty. Gorilla was moved by it. It was a terrific reception for Gino Morella. And that crowd ate him up. And I was emotional as hell when I watched it the other day. Yeah. It just was, you get flooded with the memories of Gorilla Monsoon. And then to see him, he did not look great, but it was great to see him there in his home, in, in being at home in a wrestling ring, you know, in a wrestling event.
1: They show uh, Isaac Hayes uh, in the crowd. Uh, prior to this match, and then we see Butterbean and Bark Gun make their entrances. It's kind of an interesting deal here because this feels sort of kind of out of place. The referee, uh, tell everybody your favorite referee story here. We watched this the other day together, and he said he kept asking a question backstage. <laughs> tell everybody who the referee is and what his question was.
0: Ray Boom Boom Mancini. That's not the referee. Who the fuck was it? <laughs> Vinny Pazienza. <laughs> what the fuck did I say? How many million lights have you
1: had, really? God damn. Ray, we used in... Okay, sorry. I'm... Okay, sorry. Vinny Paz. Vinny Paz is the referee, Woo! and he asked the question over and over and over. What, what am I supposed to do? What's the finish?
0: <laughs> and, and folks, th- this... This fight, you can watch it, man. It was a shoot.
1: There's no working in this. There ain't
0: no working in this. Even Bean, and Bean offered to to work the match. Um, bless his heart. Bean did not want to hurt Bart Gunn. He knew he would. He knew he would. There was, there was a feeling. I think there was a feeling in Bart's camp. I think there was a feeling by Bart and the guy that was training him, who was Mark Merrow's trainer, really nice guy. They felt Bart had a chance. We all felt Bart had a chance.
1: We you all bought the
0: hype. We bought the hype. We bought bought the hype that we created. Yeah. And kind of looked at Bean as, ah, this big guy, you know, he's not in in shape. Well, Bean fought for a living. (laughs) And you, you forget about that when you get lost in that bubble. Bean was in shape for a big
1: man. To throw punches, maybe not to run marathons, but to knock motherfuckers out. He's in pretty good shape. He didn't have to run marathons. He didn't get
0: paid by the hour. Yeah. He got paid by the knockout. And Bean didn't, he, he knew what he had. He knew what he was going against. He knew Bart wasn't a fighter. He knew Bart wasn't a trained boxer. He didn't want to hurt him and he was willing to do business. Um, but Vince was adamant about, No. You know we're gonna have a real thing, and maybe Bartle throw that left hook and knock Butterbean out, and make a name for himself. And then we got a boxer on our hands. Well, that didn't happen.
1: Uh, so let's run through that. Thirty-five seconds into the first round. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck me, man! Butterbean knocked him down at twenty seconds, and then Gun barely makes his feet at nine, and then is knocked out. And when he gets up, man, it's not good. The way he goes down, his neck snaps as it hits the ropes. It looks very dangerous in hindsight. Uh, He didn't die, but his career did that day. Can we agree? You ever get that sick feeling in your
0: stomach when something bad happens? That was the feeling I got when being hit Bart. I felt so bad for Bart it was his opportunity to break out of the break out of the norm for Bart Gunn. We really hoped, <laughs> we really did. We really hoped that this would be something for Bart. And man, when that punch landed, it was a sickening thud in so many ways.
1: It's brutal. If you haven't seen it, you should go check it out. Um words can't describe how nasty this is. Maybe not the best time skip coming up next. Uh, after the match, the San Diego chicken runs in and Vinny punches him in the beak and the bird sure, goes down. Sure, one ray, boom, boom, Mancini. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, I mean, h- how t- terrible is the time? You see a guy damn near get fucking decapitated with a punch oh, and now we're going to fake knock out a bird. <laughs> Feels like this is just like, what are you doing? Got to establish him. Establish who?
0: The goddamn chicken. <laughs> the chicken, did the, the, chicken, honors. the chicken must go down.
1: The chicken screwed the chicken. <laughs> uh, mankind beats Paul White via disqualification in six minutes and 50 seconds. He pulls out Sako three times, uh, but Paul keeps breaking it up each time. There is a really cool spot. Uh, Where mankind was on his back, and then he just falls backwards on him. Of course, we saw this with Taz and Bigelow and ECW, but this is their version. It was pretty cool. They don't go through the ring. Uh, One good spot was uh, the that everybody remembers is the choke slam onto the chairs. I guess it's kind of in the middle between them. And when this happens, uh, the ref DQs him. Was this a waste of Mick? Is this just garnish and Gaga? to disguise his legit physical state at the time or is this just a miss in your opinion
0: I think it was a miss I think that Mick was not in the best shape at this time he couldn't have that kind of match that Mick would want to have but they got him on the show because it was Wrestlemania and it was a big angle and it was a way to bring Mick
1: back in the main event too this brings Vince out it's worth mentioning, these guys were fighting for who's going to be the referee of the main event. Maybe we skipped that. You did. Uh, but it's... Uh, you did. You did, too, you fuck. Well, I, I'm covering it now. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, the the concept here is... Thank
0: God Miller Lite came on board. That's all I got to say. It's Big
1: Show in Mankind, uh, and the winner is the referee. I, I don't know why you would want to work twice, but what an honor it would be. Well, Vince Mick come, Foley.
0: it's a double payday.
1: So Vince comes out and yells at White about screwing up and not being the ref. Uh he eventually slaps him and uh White picks him up for a choke slam and then lets him down. Uh I guess he didn't slap him first. So he just starts berating him, says he's a nobody, he's a nothing I'm Vince McMahon, you're a nobody. Teases the chokeslam, puts him down. Then he slaps him, and Big Show punches him and leaves him for dead. Of course, the Stooges, Pat Patterson and Briscoe, come make the save. But meanwhile, Mankind is doing a stretcher job, and they say he's going to the hospital. And this is because he was chokeslammed onto a couple of chairs. Uh, Meltzer gave the match three-quarters of a star. What do you think of this whole exchange with McMahon, the stooges the double chair it seems like there's a lot of booking here
0: a lot of gaga and a lot of bullshit yeah it was it was more about story and less about substance it was just a lot of gaga it it was let's let's swerve them let's swerve them again let's swerve them again then we'll swerve them
1: is this uh russo's first wrestlemania as the head writer
0: first or second
1: 98 may have been first may have been is it fair to say that there's uh no
0: wait a minute 98 was austin and sean yeah so this would have been his first yeah
1: yeah i thought so uh did patterson enjoy being a stooge he'll tell you he didn't but he did yeah he's working in reverse he loved it he did uh let's let's hear afterwards they wake vince up and get him acclimated backstage And uh, he says that he wants to press charges and have uh, Paul White arrested. Let's hear your version of that. I don't remember that part. All right, let's move on. Road Dog retains the intercontinental title in a four-way over Ken Shamrock, Goldust, and Val Venus. It runs just under 10 minutes. Shamrock eventually gets the ankle lock uh, on Venus, who got a rope break. The two brawl out of the ring for a double countout. And then Shamrock hits both Goldust and Road Dog with a belly to belly. Ryan Shamrock, his sister, wink, wink, tries a low blow on Goldust, but somehow doesn't hit it. And then Goldust hits Road Dog with a power slam. But in doing so, Dog somehow maneuvers himself into a small package for the pin. It gets a star and a half. I was reminded watching this how great Val Venus was in the ring. I guess I've been sleeping on him for a little while. Uh, I don't know when we'll talk about him again. So let's talk about, we'll talk about the character later. Let's talk about his ring work here. He was a hell of a hand. It's, it's funny
0: that you wrote that down and had that because that's kind of what I picked up out of this. I, I forgot first of all, how good that Sean Morley Val Venus was. And, also, how Shamrock could just work with just about anybody.
1: I feel like Shamrock is maybe one of the big misses that you guys had because it seems like he could have been a tippy-top guy, like world title guy. He's certainly believable from the real world. He has a great look. His work was fine. Yeah, watching this, it was. it's funny that we both have the same viewpoint on that
0: because I was watching it going, God damn, Val was good. Yeah, and he was different too. He worked the gimmick. It was whatever the hell star you gave it. I enjoyed this match. Yeah, <laughs> just it, because of the people in
1: it. I thought it was really good. I thought all the guys were entertaining. R- Road Dogg, especially. While some people may be critical of his work and say he's not a great wrestler, the dude was a hell of an entertainer, and so you had a really cool collection here. I want to talk about Ryan Shamrock. I don't know when we'll talk about her again. There's lots of rumor and innuendo about her out there. Can you give us any good Ryan Shamrock stories?
0: Ryan Shamrock was from uh, founder in Houston, Texas, uh, from a friend of mine.
1: That What I was, was the name of the strip club you used to go to in Houston?
0: Heartbreakers. Okay. And Ryan was not a stripper.
1: I didn't say she was. I was just asking.
0: Well, I'm pointing that out okay. because I think there's a lot of rumor and innuendo that she was
1: okay she was
0: a, she was a friend of a friend of mine who happened to be the DJ at a gentleman's establishment who also had a band and she was a girlfriend or friend of somebody in the band I needed a
1: a girlfriend or friend
0: I don't know what the hell she was well she wasn't a stripper she was just a nice beautiful girl that we needed to come in and play the part of Ken Shamrock's sister in Houston so um, I knew that new wave always had uh, beautiful young ladies around. And for once he brought me
1: not a stripper. What's, uh, what's your favorite Terry Funk line to impersonate? I wouldn't say that about her. Yeah, I know what you're trying to do. Conrad. What? You know, (laughs) from her, she's here. Uh, so at this point, Paul White was arrested and they do a bit of, uh, a little bit of gaga here because there's like a dozen or more officers god it was horrible arresting him and they put him in what looks like a regular fucking car it's it not like even a, a cu- mercury marquee or something yeah it's like a grand hurts, and it is hilarious to see big show in the back seat of a car <laughs> i don't know why it's so funny to me but it is no cage no cuffs
0: no nothing he just gets in the back seat with the towel around his neck Okay. Um, Which way did he go? Uh, Don't call me stupid.
1: So while it's hilarious to see Big Show shoved in the back of this car here, next up we've got Kane, and uh, he beat Hunter Hearst Helmsley after 11 minutes by DQ. Before the match, this chicken comes back out and this time attacks Kane, and Kane pulls off his headpiece, revealing that it's Pete Rose gives him another of those tombstone pile drivers of course he took care of pete on this one tell me how this pete rose bit comes to be
0: pete was a big fan and we had done pete the year before in boston he enjoyed the hell out of it and tell me conrad what is philadelphia
1: close to atlantic city ding 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 so can i freestyle a guess yeah go ahead does he have to be paid in cash
0: Actually, no, he wasn't. He was paid in a check, but he did get it that night. He got the check that
1: night. He got the check that night. Yeah, he took it and cashed it in the cage. Well, you know, um, Pete
0: Rose was great to work with. I love me some Pete Rose.
1: Ten grand. He got paid fifteen grand. You know, less than twenty five. Okay. Uh, Hunter doesn't do an entrance in this match and just sneaks in to deliver a low blow. That's hard to imagine. Can you imagine Hunter not doing a WrestleMania entrance in 2017? Yeah, that's kind of like Undertaker not doing one. It's, yeah, I mean, it's way foreign. China eventually comes down and throws the stairs into the ring to help Kane. And let's remember here, uh, going into this, China and Triple H are not together. She is sided with Kane. These guys have done some crazy stuff feuding with one another. Uh, at one point, uh, he is trying to shoot fire. <laughs> Kane's trying to shoot fire at Hunter and he misses and hits China in the face. So then Gold Dust comes out, it's actually Triple H and shoots a flamethrower at Kane. So there's lots of craziness fire, fire and building up to this Shit. where people are shooting fire. Uh, well, they do um, a spot where she throws the stairs in the ring to help Kane. Kane picks him up, but then Hunter drops him into his face, drop kicks him into his face. Uh, they do some spots where Hunter's trying for a pedigree on the ring steps, but Kane reverses it, and then Triple H takes a back drop all the way to the floor. Eventually, he hits a choke slam, but before he can go for the pin, China grabs a chair and tells Kane she wants to hit Triple H. You know where that goes. China hits Kane with the chair for the DQ, and after the match, Triple H uses the pedigree on Kane, dropping him on top of the chair. Uh, the crowd popped big to see Triple H and China back together. I guess this is like our new age, uh, macho man, Miss Elizabeth, 1999 version of moment here the match only gets a star and a quarter from Meltzer what do you think about this match and the reunion of Triple H and China
0: I told you when we watched it I enjoyed the match yeah I thought that the guys busted their ass and worked hard and I I don't get the one and a half star thing man I thought that it was a really good match told a good story now when we this get- is a good swerve Well, it It is
1: predictable, you know, when she, this was a great swerve, but I don't like what happens later on in the show. Yeah. Uh, at this point we see backstage Vince talking to Kevin Kelly and he says that since Paul has arrested and mankind's in the hospital, he's going to be the ref here. So go ahead and hit us with this Vince McMahon line, Bruce. What's he sound like?
0: I'm going to be the guest referee. No more controversy.
1: Cobra commander. Uh, next up, we've got Sable and Tori. And I actually did the thumbs just like he did, too. You didn't, like, paint that picture. This is an audio show. But remember the power. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was funny.
0: And I did thumbs. I did th- I did the thumbs just just uh, painting pictures here, folks.
1: We're getting there. Sable pinned Tory after about five minutes. Meltzer wrote, quote, absolutely worst match of the year. Uh in the match, you probably remember Tori came out in a bodysuit that was airbrushed. Uh it was kind of made to look like she has no clothes on. What's up with Tori's gear? Do you remember? Yes, uh Tori had done some pictures that she was hoping to get published in Penthouse. Penthouse.
0: Yes. And she Did you had, see the pictures? Yes, I did. Beautiful young lady. And she had a friend of hers that did airbrush uh, artwork. And so she was doing a lot of body painting. So she had done a series of pictures with body paint, nothing but body paint on. She was trying to recreate that in this outfit so that it looked like she was nude with body paint on.
1: Uh, Dorito, landing strip, Hitler mustache. (laughs) Oh, my. Just a little patch. Thank you. I I'd get an answer if I waited long enough. Uh, Meltzer says they're blowing every spot and couldn't work together at all. People at ringside could hear Sable loudly complaining in the ring that Tori was hurting her and being too stiff. Eventually, Tori did a crossbody, knocking out referee Jimmy Corderas. Sable set up the power bomb, but Tori was supposed to land on her feet. Like everything else in the match, that didn't happen. Nicole Bass hits the ring about 30 seconds early and pressed Tori and dropped her, leading to the Sable bomb for the win. Negative two stars. It wasn't that good. Well, it was worse <laughs> than that. Oh my God. The funniest thing in this whole match to me is when Tori goes to power bomb Sable and sticks her head between her legs. And since she's kind of painted like an animal. And uh, Sable's <laughs> giant ponytail slings out from between oh, Tori's legs. Dude. It looks like Tori has a tail for a minute. I don't know why that was unintentional comedy for me, but it cracked me up,
0: folks. That is worth going and checking that one out on the network just for that one spot. The tail. The, the tail. Yes, um, it was the only enjoyable way. Well, you like you like the hip movements. This match was so bad on so many levels, and how great was her promo? Just. Oh my god it, it was it was horrible and then then you have Nicole bass coming
1: out at the end way too early and way too early and on camera and
0: then and then way too late yeah too, too early too late and stuck around forever <laughs> too long yeah. early too late too long
1: yeah um, nothing worked in this nothing worked. Next up, what did work? Shane McMahon pins X-Pac to retain the European title after eight minutes and 41 seconds. Prior to the match, the Stooges try to attack X-Pac, and you know what happens to them. Test comes out with Shane, and they focus on the Main Street posse, and they have lots of interference with both Test and Main Street. I think X-Pac did a great job here, worked very hard. Uh, Shane whipped him with a belt. Uh, Eventually, he goes for the Bronco Buster. Uh, Triple H and China run out and after X-Pac has used the X-Factor on Shane, Triple H runs in while China distracts the ref and then Triple H gives X-Pac the pedigree allowing Shane to win the match and keep his European title. The Outlaws come out but Triple H and Test were laying them out until Kane's music played and everyone scattered. The match gets two and three quarter stars. So I'm just curious, this is effectively the end of DX because you've got, you know, Triple H separating himself and aligning himself with the corporation and Test and Shane McMahon, and he's taking China with him. And this comes on the heels of a promo right before this where Hunter says we're all together, and he's got all the original members there except for Sean, of course. Why break up the band here was the feeling that Hunter was ready to just go out on his own, and he was being held back by being a part of the group? Or what's the rationale? Can't tell you, man. I think
0: that it was simply a swerve for swerve's sake. Didn't make a whole lot of sense to do it here. I felt it was the wrong place at the wrong time. If you wanted to break them up, then break them up on television, do it later. It just didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And you, you had to put in all that other shit, and uh, this is where I get into. I feel that there were just so many swerves, and they were just swerves for swerves' sake. But I thought the match itself was—I thought it was very good. I thought <laughs> Xbox worked his ass off. Shane delivered, and you got to see the Mean Street Posse get get their licks into.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting match, uh, and I think both guys, both Shane and Waltman, deserve a round of applause for putting something together here that most thought had no business being this good. It's a shame that the finish kind of takes away from it a little bit because they worked hard well, in this.
0: Yeah, and you, and you really got to take your hat off to to Waltman in that one because he he's he put all that together and he made it without without him in there. That would have been a different match.
1: Do you think he looked at that as a negative having to work WrestleMania against the boss's son or a positive that, hey, we trust you to do this? I think he looked at it as a positive
0: to be working with with Shane and have an opportunity to prove himself
1: above and beyond to show what the hell he could do. And it stands to reason right or wrong, no matter what anybody thinks. A Shane McMahon match at WrestleMania is going to be a featured spot, whether it's Waltman or Undertaker or AJ Styles. Damn right.
0: And I think sometimes, you know, Waltman, I remember Waltman from the GWF days with Jerry Lynn. He just was always a special worker. Yeah. He could
1: tell great stories in the ring. Next up, what we're all really here for, I guess, the Undertaker beat the big boss man in the Hell in a Cell match after nine minutes and 46 seconds. This hurts me. If you watch... (laughs) It hurt us all. If you watch the match, you remember that uh, what Meltzer suggests here is on the money. The handcuffs break way too early. Uh, Bossman breaks these out and tries to cuff the Undertaker, but they're gimmicked. And the Undertaker is supposed to be trapped and desperate. And that doesn't happen because they break so quickly. So he has to pretend that he's trapped and helpless while Bossman beats on him. Both guys eventually bleed, but no one cares. Boring chants are all over the crowd, and then the finish is a tombstone seemingly out of nowhere. And then it really went downhill. <laughs> uh, the brood comes in from the ceiling, so that's Gangrel, Edge, and Christian. They repel down. Well, they had a finish like Sting has, and they start tearing at the center of the cage and eventually drop a noose, that's right, a noose, like you hang someone with, through the cage, and Taker puts the noose around Boss Man's head and neck, and then they show Paul Bear with the remote control box to lift the cage. And the thing that stuck out to you and I the most when we watched this the other day Is that the brood goes back to the top of the cage, and what happens? Who was it? It was Edge. Got just hung up. Before that, though. Which part? They all rigged themselves to go back up. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And we shot it. You had professional riggers, I'm sure, up there letting them down. But now they're down here by themselves. And rig themselves to go back and rigged up. And rig themselves to yeah. go back up then, with no then, professional yeah. help. And then Edge gets hung up and it's just
0: hanging going and back dangling. up. Just hanging dangling <laughs> from from the ceiling, hanging dangling. And, and not
1: just... moving like everybody else is.
0: Yeah, well everybody else was already up up top, I guess, and and we're still shooting it, and he's just kinda like spinning around.
1: Do 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 Um Man, I don't know what the fuck to say about this. It looked so haphazard and reckless and dangerous. Had you seen that since when we watched it the other night? Oh God,
0: no. I, I, that's one, that's one of those. I throw that one up there kind of with Katie
1: Vick. I'd like to forget. Do you think Martha used that as evidence against you guys? Oh fuck. I have no idea. No, there's nothing to use there
0: again. I'm not even going to discuss that. Um, but the, the hanging itself the the absolute oh yeah let's talk about the hanging so dropping a noose <laughs> let, let, such- let's think about this folks we dropped we dropped a noose from the top of the cage already tied a, a noose that you hang people with um, put it over boss man's head and uh,
1: hung him. It was horrible. I, did y'all walk through this the day before? No, we did it that day, but it was it was fucking horrible. So you're in the crowd or around the ring watching them kind of walk through this. The noose comes down. I assume they hook it to a harness that's under his gear. Do I have that right? Well, yeah, you saw it on the goddamn show. You can see it. Well, people are listening, though. I'm trying to get you to, you know, talk to them. I don't want to. um <laughs> So just cut the show off. We're done? We're done.
0: Um, yeah, man. It, it, there, That's how know, he goes. The boss man was wearing a goddamn harness and fucking. There's a hook on the noose. Obviously, he wasn't choked. He wasn't could... strangled.
1: I wish people could see your face as you're. You have your oh. elbows on your knees. Your oh, head now you want to describe what the fuck I'm doing with you, my hands in my head. You look so downtrodden. Let me ask you again: Were you ever embarrassed by anything? <laughs> with the WWF.
0: This was horrible. This this one was this was embarrassing, folks. Yeah, this one was, this was bad. I felt so bad for the Undertaker and Boss Man, everybody involved in this. I felt bad for me. Um, I felt bad for me. It 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 sucked. It was. When, when you do dude, the. Whoever's wall. idea was, I don't know if it's Russos or McGahn's. Whoever fuck, the fuck's honey. idea was, it's horrible. I will go on the record saying it was horrible. Um, execution was horrible. The idea itself, horrible. Um, Who was for it? And, all- and on top of it, on top of it, this happened on a Sunday. The next night, Boss Manchester goes out and works a match. <laughs> so, so give me the logic there. I'm sorry, it was, it was the shits. So you, the so jizzling you, motherfucking shits. So you killed a guy?
1: No, he just hung him. Huh. He, he worked the next night. No, but I'm saying, for, as far as the crowd goes, <gasps> I mean, you killed a guy.
0: Yeah, I, you know what? I don't even remember how the fuck we got him out of there. I know they dropped him down, but I don't know. They carried him out. I don't know what the fuck happened. I don't even remember. It's 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 one of those those black holes in my memory. That will never be. Let me
1: let me freestyle this. When you guys walked through it that day,
0: I can honestly tell you that I remember them dropping it down and looking at it and going, "Oh, fucking," walking
1: away. I. It's. Did you hear Vince McMahon's reaction to no, the walkthrough? No. What about live?
0: No. I don't even know if he was there. I don't even know if he was like you know around me. I was a gorilla. I I, I couldn't even tell you. It was so fucking just <laughs> dead. It was... The audience didn't know what to do. Well, what are you supposed to do? You just fucking murdered Right. You. I mean, yeah, it's... it's Who's the baby face? Who's the heel? Am I, supposed to, am I supposed to be happy that we're hanging a man in the middle of the arena at the premier event, uh, you know? Yeah. Do you cheer for a hanging? Yeah. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. Do, do you boo the hanging? Or do you cheer the hanging? Are we happy? Or are we angry? Or do we really give a flying fuck? It just No one was- gave a fuck no one gave a fuck about the match no and on top of it you you add that to it at the end didn't work and i felt i felt sorry for taker and bossman because they're two great workers that deserve more than that in my opinion
1: what did taker think after
0: i don't even remember i i imagine he probably just kind of hung his head like I just did and walked to the back and said,
1: well, you don't remember Vince flipping out about this?
0: No, I really don't. And, and I got to chalk it up to being that black hole of trying to forget that shit.
1: How funny is it when undertaker realizes, Oh shit, he's spinning. The hard cam is going to the hard cam is going to catch the harness let me try to steady his leg here. Fucking horrible. And then at some point they turn the lights off, like maybe. My God. And when they do, Michael Cole starts yelling. It's symbolic. Is it a symbol? <laughs> is it a symbol? Now, is this because you guys have gotten so much heat for crucifying guys and putting them on the cross and having to say it's not a cross? It's not it's a, a cross. Symbol. It's a
0: symbol, pal.
1: Um. No,
0: you know what I think was happening there is I I, I'm, I would bet you money that whoever was person, Jim Ross
1: is in his head saying yeah, it's a symbol. It's you know, a symbol.
0: trying to trying to say he's not being hung. It's symbolic. It's a symbol. I don't know what the fuck it's a symbol for. Other you're hanging somebody, <laughs> you're killing someone. It's a symbol. I don't of what. I, I, yeah. What was
1: the bloodbath a symbol of? Blood in a bath. And a vampire. <laughs> Vampires like blood. All right, let's get to the main event. This is uh, the first time, the first of a trilogy of WrestleMania main events with Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. As you probably remember, for at least if you're listening to this show, they headlined 15, 17, and 19. Some people would argue those matches weren't the main event, but anytime The Rock is working Stone Cold Steve Austin, it's the main event. Uh, and it certainly was here. He, he... Steve Austin regains the WWF title, but you knew that because Michael Cole already told you that took about 17 minutes to do so. And prior to the match, Michael Cole introduces Jim Ross, who's brought out to announce the main event and gets a huge ovation. And he didn't do any of the parody stuff that he had been doing beforehand. Uh, They just dropped all that and he called this one straight. And it was nice to see JR back on TV and in the main event position. And then Shawn Michaels comes out. Uh, well, I guess Vince McMahon comes out first, does some little poses. He's going to be the referee. And then Shawn comes out to a huge pop and says, that's not going to happen. And instead, Shawn as acting commissioner says, he is the only person who can appoint a referee and he appoints Mike Kyoto. Um, Austin comes out and he's not wearing a vest. He comes out second, by the way. Rock's out first as champ. Austin's the challenger, comes out second. That's not the conventional order, but I'm sure the order's changed because Austin at this point is the fucking megastar and Rock is just now starting his climb. Is that fair to say? Yeah, Steve was babyface. Babyface must go out last. Okay. I didn't realize that was the rule there. Uh, he comes out with no vest, lots of controversy. I got this question a lot. Why did he forget his vest? And when I asked you this, you said, I think that the, uh, he was supposed to have a new vest
0: made and I don't think that it was made in time and he didn't have anything else to wear. So he wore his shirt. He wore the, the double Cobra shirt.
1: Yeah. But it's not a. Hey, I'm going to try to sell some of these gimmicks on Home Shopping Network right after, so let me wear it here, too. Might have been. I mean, that would have been smart. That? Well, I I mean, mean, knowing Steve, that may have been it.
0: <laughs> oh, damn, kid. Sell your shirts.
1: Uh, What year do you think was his best money year? Was it 99? 2000? 01? Yeah,
0: 98, 99. 2000 yeah he had some good ones he had a string of good
1: ones do you think he had a 10 million dollar year in merch I think he did pretty good for himself Cena's knocking down 10 do you think back then just on merch I think Steve did real well I think he had a 25 I think Steve did really
0: fucking well Steve did good okay. Steve, Steve was Steve hey I'll tell you Steve sold more shirt for shirt than Hogan in his heyday
1: Hmm. Uh, the guys worked uh, a really great match starting out on the outside lots of brawling Um, eventually of course you know there's going to be lots of ref bumps in this Austin knocks out Kyoto with a chair and uh, this happens when the Rock put the ref in the way Uh, eventually Tim White another referee runs in You know what's going to happen here. Rock does a Samoan drop for a near fall. And when Austin kicks out, Rock delivers the rock bottom on white. So he's out now. Then Stone Cold hits the stoner, but there's no ref to count it. So Earl Hebner runs in, but Rock kicks out. Vince attacks Hebner. And um, then Vince and Rock are double teaming Austin. When Mankind runs in and decks Vince, Austin does a schoolboy for a near fall. And then Rock delivers another Rock bottom, but misses the corporate elbow, which, by the way, Shane McMahon did in his match. Any sort of discussion about Shane being the owner's son, ripping off Rock's kind of signature move? Or is that all okay because it's the corporate elbow? No, I'm sure it was all okay because it's corporate elbow. But you know what? Actually, I think Shane did the people's elbow. Oh, goddamn! And Rock did the corporate elbow. Um. Rock goes for another rock bottom. Austin blocks it, hits the stunner for the pin, and it's over. Uh, After the match, uh, Hebner sticks around and drinks beer in the ring with Austin, and Austin decks Vince after the match, delivers another stunner, pours beer on him, and we go off the show. Uh, this match gets three and a half stars. So lots of Gaga, as you like to say in the main event, what did you think of this as a WrestleMania main event? Clearly Austin hottest star in the business in March of 99. And obviously rock is on his way to becoming the hottest star in the business. But as far as just a match and a moment in time here in March of 99, what'd you think?
0: It was a lot of Gaga, but that was becoming the norm. In pay-per-views and, and everything that we did, you know, the swerve, the gaga, uh, let's make it exciting. There wasn't a lot of thought given to, well, if the guys are out of the ring for a count of 692, that's okay. Nobody's counting. Uh, it was a different time and a different place. So the, the trend was going towards the excitement and, and the gaga, and they delivered in that regard. They busted their ass, told the story, and the story of that match was the, the corporation had the everything stacked against Stone Cold Steve Austin, and he overcame, and at the end, you know, Mick Foley was a big part of that with the referee. So that story got told, and I thought that story, you know, we accomplished that. Not necessarily my cup of tea, but it was good.
1: Happy belated birthday. Do you want to tell Thank everybody you. how old you are? Older than you. That's just true. Could, you could, like, be my son. Isn't that a scary thought? That is a scary thought.
0: Me and Larry Thompson are kind of closer in age than you and me. Did y'all, Larry Thompson is, is Papa Conrad,
1: for those of you that don't know. Papa Thompson. Did you uh? Did you ever make any towns down by, like, Prattville, Alabama, in, like, 81? It was continental territory. You and your brother are probably cruising through Montgomery. Oh my god. Is this real? It could be. Did we just have a moment here? You never know. What would that make my mom? <laughs> <laughs> I am not going
0: there. I love Miss Deborah.
1: We will see you here next week on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard.